This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. This is the place where you get the tools, the ideas you need to live a longer life, to love stronger, to lead healthier, happier uh, lives as well. Here's the deal. Today we got a great topic, one that you might not normally, you know, think about, except right now as you're driving your car. If you are in your car cruising down the freeway and you notice, you know, that overpass that you're parked under because traffic is backed up. You notice it's chipping, it's decaying away infrastructure, folks. It's a big deal. And uh, today we're going to be talking about, with honestly, I think one of the greatest uh, change, you know, academics uh, and uh, business um, leaders at Harvard. Rosabeth Moss Cantor is going to be joining us. She really is a change guru, a leadership guru, and she wrote a book called Move, which is all about America's infrastructure. She was on The Daily Show with uh, John Stewart and uh, <laughs> had a great time. I mean, as much as you can get out with him making jokes in between every uh, little statistic she was throwing out. But we've got her on the show a little bit later. She's going to walk us through the impact that uh, the infrastructure is going to start having on the country and our need to innovate. And it doesn't just mean, you know, a better on-ramp or a better off-ramp. It might mean improving technology. It might be mean better partnerships. Have you ever sat and noticed that, man, UPS and FedEx, they seem to be doing an incredible job at moving freight across the country? And then you might wonder, does, you, does, does the Postal Service do that great of a job? Oh, yeah, you just can't trust government. Can you trust government? And can government fix this problem? We're going to be talking about all of those topics with Rosabeth Moss Cantor from Harvard. Um, she really is, uh, has been one of the great leadership professors and, and in her area of specialty in change management, systems thinking. She's taking on the infrastructure needs of America. We'll be getting to that. And heaven knows we need it as we just, you know, try to live a fairly normal life um, yet it's hard. Have you noticed airline delays? Noticed train accidents in the news lately? The Philadelphia train accident kills five people. Do we not have technology that's more advanced than that? Japan has a train that can go 200 miles an hour. Did you know in America, the fastest train we have, uh, Amtrak has, can go 150 miles an hour for a little while. The Japanese have figured out how to put a train at 200 miles an hour, long distances for long periods of time. It's just we're not advanced and we're not advancing as we could. And it's costing us money. It's costing us a lot of money. Did you know just air traffic delays alone, like the simple basic concept of um, turbulence in the air costs the airlines $13 billion a year? Just turbulence because they have to reroute airplanes, which costs fuel and delays. Ah, do we not have technology to handle that better? Did you know that we actually have technology now where a lot of airplanes could just glide in, not even need to use a ton of power or fuels? They could just glide in 
which would save in fuel costs, sound pollution, noise pollution. I mean, we don't have the technology. We do. It exists. We just don't have the money to do it. We've got to solve some of these problems. We're going to be getting into this topic of infrastructure with one of the great uh, minds, I think, in leadership and and change. So stick with us on that one. Dr. Rosa Beth Moss Cantor in just a minute. But first, let's go to another great mind. Kathy Aiken in the news. That's a stretch. Thanks, Matt. New Jersey Governor Chris Christie will formally announce his candidacy for president today. Christie will make his announcement from Livingston High School, where he attended. Christie will become the 14th GOP contender to enter the race. Another another Republican in the presidential race, Donald Trump, has been dumped by NBC. The network ended its relationship with Trump after these recent comments about Mexican immigrants. When Mexico sends its people... They're not sending their best. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people. NBC said it will no longer air the Miss USA and Miss Universe pageants that Trump is involved with. The real estate mogul said that decision will be determined in court. Trump ended his job on the network's program Celebrity Apprentice due to his run for the White House. President Obama expected to announce a rule to expand overtime pay to millions of American workers. The proposed change would raise the guaranteed overtime compensation from just over $23,000 to over $50,000. The National Retail Federation opposes the changes saying they would add to the employees co- employer's costs, hinder productivity, and hurt job creation. Further details are expected to be re- released later today. David Sweat, the convicted killer who escaped from a New York prison over three weeks ago, is talking. Sweat reportedly told police he and Richard Matt were planning on Joyce Mitchell picking them up, killing her husband, then driving to Mexico. But when Mitchell didn't show, they escaped on foot. Mitchell, a former employee at the prison, has been charged with helping the men escape. According to Sweat, she was the only prison employee involved in the plot. Sweat is recovering from two gunshot wounds in an Albany hospital. Matt was killed by police on Friday. An Arkansas County clerk is resigning today over her own moral objection to issuing same-sex marriage licenses. Dana Guffey said it was a decision she didn't take lightly and didn't do it with hate. Guffey has held the elected office for over 24 years. As of yesterday afternoon, her office had not received any requests for same-sex marriage licenses. The Sleepy Hollow fire in Wenatchee, Washington, continues to burn. So far, the fire has destroyed 24 homes and four businesses. As of last night, the fire was just 10 percent contained. Walmart apologizing for making a cake with an ISIS flag on it for a customer. This just one day after the same man asked for a cake with a Confederate flag but was denied. Walmart said the cake should not have been made and they apologized for the mistake. Meanwhile, a video showing the ISIS cake has been removed from YouTube. And tonight, Matt, you're going to be tuning in the U.S. women. Hmm. Taking on the top-ranked Germany in the World Cup semis tonight. Are they? Yeah, I cannot wait for that. The good news... The U.S. has Megan Rapinoe and Lauren Holiday back from suspension. And the winner of tonight's matchup moves on to the finals July 5th of Vancouver. And it will be the first team, whoever wins the the World Cup, if if one of those two wins, would be the first time to win three times. Well, Germany, man, they're good. They're good. The women top ranked. They're very Mm. good. Yeah. (laughs) U.S., their defense has got to shine tonight for them to have a chance. So. Oh, that is incredible. Well, so do you want to watch that or would you rather go see Trump? Uh, fight with NBC. Much rather watch the World Cup. <laughs> Did you hear his little announcement? I don't know if it'd be as entertaining, but yeah. Uh, he said, I- I'm probably going to sue uh, Univision. Univision. Uh, I may even sue NBC. Yep. And then 
the next statement, what would you make? I mean, oh, and by the way, I want to be your president. Yes. Like, he, he's in the middle of all of these lawsuit <laughs> battles now. Oh, Just gets mercy. his name out a little bit more, right? Just puts him in the news. Yeah, they, they say, you know, any press is good press. Right, exactly. But, you know, maybe I'd not. I'd like to see he and Christie in a debate against each other. That would Don't be you fun. Think that yeah. Would, oh, yeah. Well, but the difference is Christie would use numbers that could be verified. Mm-hmm. And Trump would just make you look stupid. <laughs> And then you'd find out later that none of it was true. Yeah, the two of them, though. Can you imagine the, the anger and the hatred? Yeah. Yeah, that'd, be, that'd be amazing. I mean, can you, Trump would throw all these things at Christie's mother didn't even like him as a child. <laughs> and he was. It, it, and probably then how do you prove that? some weight jokes or something, yeah. too, right? Oh, oh, yeah. But see, Christie's in. This is he's interesting. Because in. yeah. he's known for the bridge gate, yep, right? A year ago. And that's today we're talking infrastructure. Yeah. So he's the guy. It's interesting that has never. It never truly implicated him, but it got pretty no. darn close. Oh, yeah. Well, he's had two or three things that get close. But, yeah. again, it may not matter. And apparently a lot of people don't care, yeah, they don't care if anymore. you have any Only gates the people anymore. in New Jersey. Yeah, it's they're like, the only ones. Yeah. It's almost like the prerequisite to run for office is you need a few scandals. For sure. Oh, or yeah. a really good gate. Oh, yeah. We don't have any gates gate. on our show. A good gate, yeah. Yeah. yeah good, that's a good idea. We need a Ask gate. Ask him about that. Uh, Terry, make sure you start preparing a gate for the show. We just need some scandal, not to... The Matt Gate? Yeah. Every time Mountain you kept Gate. talking about the felon, that's those guys that were running away from prison, uh, one of them's name is Matt. And every time you and say it, Matt. I'm like, are you talking about me? <laughs> I did not. I did I not. I did not do that. You think if you're going to break out of prison and you're that smart to get out of the prison, mm-hmm. that you'd have a better plan than just this one lady. I was going to say, don't you think they would have had a plan B? Yeah. Like, Maybe they, I must have thought she was... She was really Definitely in. in love with one of them or something yeah. that was going to be there. <laughs> you know what? They, I know why they went after her because she was from the seamstress shop. Mm-hmm. So they were thinking free clothes the rest of my life. Just She'll just make me clothes. Oh, God. That's sad. Uh, that would be – that's, that's a lame excuse. That's a totally lame Very excuse. Very lame excuse. And apparently uh, Sweat was saying that Matt was holding him back. Yeah. He was sick it sounds like. He was yeah, sick, yeah. a little older. Yeah. Got to He's go. in his 50s. Yeah. I thought they'd split off. So if one got caught, the other one would be long gone the other way. But apparently yeah. one had to sleep while the other one stood yeah. guard. You needed a guard. Yeah. But uh, they also – he was drenched in alcohol apparently. So, uh, you know, a rule for any fleeing felons. Stay sober. Do it while you're drunk. Not you don't want to like – because they said, didn't they say he was out running when they caught him? I, they said jogging. I'm sure, like I'm sure jogging, he was just kind of trying to stay I, in shape. I, no, I'm sure he was just trying to get away, yeah. realizing he was close to the Canadian border. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was just double stuff. That's double what they were saying. It. What in the world was he doing out there in public? Yeah, not not real smart. Yeah. <laughs> well, then he Obviously. smelled like alcohol. But you know what? That probably helps when you're taking two bullets in the chest. May take off because he seemed pretty content. Yeah. When they, not, I mean, how many times do you see a guy with two bullets in his chest just sitting just there? Just sitting there. Was that weird? That was totally yeah, that weird. Was that was a good strange. press moment. You yeah. know, it's like a deer hunting picture I where know. you hold it up the rack. like they were there by their, yeah. by their, their kill. kill. Yeah, that was strange. <laughs> but they that didn't even get strange. a kill. Good job, <laughs> Close Kathy. Enough. Close enough. Hey, uh, we've got a great guest coming up. Um, you may have heard of her. Uh, Rosabeth Moss Cantor is, she really is, a great academic at Harvard one of the one of the probably best known uh, leadership and change management experts in the country, um, and she is joining us in just a few minutes. We're going to be talking about her new book that's coming out called uh, "Move: Putting America's Infrastructure Back in the Lead." 
We're going to be talking all things infrastructure. Stick with us. This is a very, very interesting topic. In fact, much more interesting than I thought it would be um, when it comes to uh, how our infrastructure impacts everything from airline travel to just how long you idle in your car and how technology may be the new way out of it. Not even just not just technology in your airplane, for example, but how about just technology in your Palm Pilot? She even made a comment on one of the shows she was on that it might be a parking app, might be one of the greatest advancements we've got in our infrastructure system. We'll be talking with Dr. Rosabeth Moss-Cantor after the break. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, in 2013, the United States infrastructure was given a grade D plus by the American Society of Civil Engineers and the World Economic Forum ranked us 16th in quality of overall infrastructure. The United States of America was ranked 16th in our overall infrastructure. Well, with recent train accidents, bridge collapses, you know, it's uh, and and the ever present pothole that we're all running into. America's infrastructure is falling quickly behind in the world, and we don't seem to have a lot of great answers, or even apparently the money to uh, to throw at the problem. We're we're even making some cuts in some of our infrastructure um, costs and uh, and allocations. So joining us today uh, is I, I'm really honored to have her on the show. Um, Dr. Rosabeth Moss Cantor is one of honestly the great, I think, brains in the in the field of leadership and change, and systems kind of thinking. Um, and she's joining us today to talk about her new book, Move: Putting America's Infrastructure Back in the Lead. Dr. Rosabeth Moss Cantor, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here and. You know, aren't we glad that we got a D plus? Yeah, hey, hey. D minus. That's right. It could get, it could get so much worse, couldn't it? Yes. Your book is fascinating to me. And by the way, your congratulations on the Daily Show. That's that had to have been a really interesting show for you to go beyond as an academic. Oh well, I mean, I'm an academic who also wants to talk to the public, and John Stewart he... has um, a great audience. Yeah. And um, you know, it was it was actually fun to talk with him. And um, I do want to reach as many people as possible because we all feel it every day, and yet there isn't enough public outcry. Um, you would think with things so bad, people would be making a huge fuss in every community and insisting yeah. their elected officials allocate money and insisting that there are plans and visions but they're not. That's a puzzle to me. Why isn't there? I mean, we hear of the derailment in Philadelphia that was such a tragedy, and, and that's kind of this obvious example. But And then the bridge collapses. But we also, we just, we sit in traffic all day long. I mean, one of the statistics you your book uh, talks about is that on average, 38 hours a year is spent in traffic by uh, people in the United States. That's just an average. Yeah, an average, and that's wasted time. That isn't yeah. regular commute uh-uh. time. That's the extra time. Yeah. So, um, you know, I know you wanna, you have a good positive outlook, and I was looking for the positive, um, the glimmers of hope. Yeah. Um, well, when things, but I don't think it's just because things are getting bad. That's not enough. Um, 
as I said with John Stewart, you can't scare people into change. Right. People get appalled by the accidents and the injuries, but if they don't believe there's a solution, then everybody goes passive again, mm-hmm. and that's the problem in every downward spiral. I've studied that in my book, Confidence. I studied that in sports teams, in companies, and now we're seeing it in a country. So people have to have a positive vision of what's possible and believe their money will be well spent. I'm hearing from people all over the country that say, yes, it's a problem, but look at the corruption Mm -hmm. in the contracting process. Look at how slow it is to get things done. They are not believing in solutions. We need leaders who can point to the positive, and there are some positives around the country. Point to those and say, let's do more of those positives, Let's use quick wins or early successes to demonstrate that we could get to a big vision. But there isn't a big vision yet. And this is the 21st century, and we are still rambling around on infrastructure created two centuries ago in the 19th century. In the the 50s and 60s, right? So after World War II, that became—I mean, we invested a lot of money then and a lot of innovation, which— you know, it was great for the space program, which led to airline, a strong airlines industry. We built a lot of roads, which led to a really strong automotive kind of industry. Mm. But we don't have such leadership today, do we? I mean, I mean we really. We don't have the vision. I mean, some of our infrastructure does date back into the 19th century, but certainly the 1950s, after World War, World War II, 50s and 60s, there were some big visions. And, um, the courage to make the investments. The interstate highway system was $25 billion, which was unprecedented at the time. And if you would translate that into current dollars, it would be in the very high hundreds of billions. Um, And we built 41,000 miles of highway. And it contributed to prosperity. The space race, actually, but it was all in the name of national defense. And the space race, Sputnik, that was national defense. Mm -hmm. And there was a huge investment in what we need today, science and technology, graduate students, education. And the act was called the National Defense Education Act. So we need a rationale today, a big vision that isn't, doesn't have the word defense in it, because we're, uh, um, but has something like mobility, opportunity, yeah. building our future. That's, and that's what leaders do. Leaders create a new, need to create a new narrative and have people say, yes, that's a goal worth aiming for. You can't get people to allocate money just because there was a tragedy here, a tragedy right. there, or just for repairs. Repairs aren't enough. Maintenance is not a vision. That's kind of a boring idea for a lot of people, right? That I mean, like you, you always talk about a great uh, example about painting your house. Nobody, nobody's excited to have. I mean, you're excited to have your house painted, but you know, you'd rather move. Yeah, you'd rather get something um, new. Your house looks the same afterwards, so you don't feel you've necessarily gained anything, and it's cost you money. So. You need a positive vision that says not only are we going to have the house painted, but we're going to add the latest sensors, the latest technology, make life easier, more comfortable, higher quality of life. Um, We're going to make sure we don't have to use our car all the time because we can use a car hailing service Mm -hmm. or a, a shared car. I mean, there has to be something positive that goes beyond just maintaining the status quo. And is it, 
I mean, so we we have that dearth of leadership. We don't, but but it, it seems like where we're getting leadership is is kind of in the private sector. It seems like Uber and uh, you know certain kinds of car share or bicycle share apps. Um, they seem to be a really powerful leader that we're not necessarily getting from government. And it's almost like the private sector keeps pushing the government side. Well, that's always been true in every part of, of American history. I mean, the first subway in the U.S. was a private hmm. subway line. Um, but, that's not, but it's not entirely true that it's all the private sector. I mean, that's where we get entrepreneurs and innovators. But the city of Boston... Yeah contracted with some innovators to do a pothole-finding app <laughs> that sends signals when your car vibrates, and so they know where to go immediately um, to make some repairs. Yeah. That's exciting. That's a collaboration. What we really need is collaboration between the sectors, not saying yeah. all private sector, all public yeah. sector. No, no, one's not good, one bad. Is it is – it, um, can we actually do – you, do you sense that you could – have a partnership? Where else do you see these partnerships that between private and public that are so, working? I mean, my favorite, I'm in love with this tunnel. I mean, I'm <laughs> a people person. And so for me to get so excited about, a tunnel. about um, inanimate, inanimate things like a tunnel, but in Miami, under the port, the port is on an island, and um, to get people to the cruise ships to get trucks carrying goods from all the the ocean freight that's coming in, um, the trucks had to go across a bridge, which itself is a little obsolete, into downtown Miami and through downtown mm. Miami, thereby clogging the city streets, polluting, etc. And this new tunnel um, has taken 80% of the trucks off city streets and takes them right to the interstate highway. So that's they just beautiful. speed on their way, maybe put it on a train. Um, so that's very positive. It took a long time, um, lots of politics before it was approved. But then it was done by a public-private partnership, by a private contractor working closely with the county. Um, it came in just about on time, like a, a month variation for permits. Wow. And under budget. Oh, wow. And it was, yeah, it's exciting It's success. What? That's success. That's how yeah, it's supposed to be success. done. So it can be done. It can be done. That's beautiful. Um, and as long as we feel it can be done, then there's hope. That's it. And let's do this. We're talking with Dr. Rosabeth Moss Cantor, uh, the author of the book Move, Putting America's Infrastructure Back in the Lead. You can get it at any uh, bookstore or online. We'll come back. I want to talk more about this because she talks about the faith in government, the faith in the ability to get to believe that stuff can get done anymore. And it's almost like we are in this big, dark hole in the United States where we just don't believe that certain things can happen anymore. Uh, We're losing the spirit, I think, maybe the belief that uh, change can happen. We'll come back, talk to one of the great change experts uh, from Harvard and uh, continue this discussion. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter, at Dr. Matt Show. Now, here is Dr. Matt Townsend. Welcome back, friends. 
Honored to have our guest today on the phone, Rosabeth Moss Cantor is joining us. She is a professor of business at Harvard Business School, where she holds the Ernest L. Arbuckle Professorship. She's also the director and chair of the Harvard University Advanced Leadership Initiative. And uh, today she's talking to us about her new book, uh, Move, Putting America's Infrastructure Back in the Lead. Dr. Rosabeth Moscanter, welcome back. Thanks very much. This is, um, you talk about the faith. We've lost the faith, I guess, in the government, in the leaders, uh, to actually get this infrastructure change initiated and, and, and accomplished. Talk a little bit about that. So all, all change is a leap of faith, because we can't really see the future. What we can do, though, is we can look at the evidence that says, aha, this is possible. So we need the demonstrations, the great projects. But we're, we're at a moment stuck between models. We're stuck between um, the past and, and not being able to get out of it. And then we have all these wonderful young technology entrepreneurs and some private sector companies who are beginning to demonstrate um, what's possible, um, whether it's sensors in roads or connected vehicles. But it's not just the entrepreneurs. It's also the auto companies. It's Elon Musk is an entrepreneur, but Tesla is an auto company. Mm-hmm. In order to make these changes, the, the difference with this kind of change than the usual change in our lives or our companies is that it's so much more complex it requires so many different stakeholders to all agree. And in the U.S., we have a lot of jurisdictions. Actually, in the West, there's an advantage over the East because the West was settled later, and there tend to be bigger geographic swaths where you can do things. I know that Salt Lake City has been working on transportation. Denver, Denver, which was so dependent on cars, is putting in light rail, refurbishing the old train station, and in in so doing, they not only get trains and people starting to leave their cars at home, which reduces traffic jams, but they're also getting residential development, um, entertainment, food in that neighborhood with the old train station. So, um, you know, even in places that have been dependent totally on the automobile, they can do it. In the east coast of the U.S., there are so many jurisdictions that even to get, you know, train tracks fixed, it crosses over towns and cities oh, and counties. And the bureaucracy of each jurisdiction, yeah. and everyone's wanting their hand in the decision-making. It's got to be much more complex. Right. It's more complex. But again, if leaders, leaders speak up, they mm-hmm. have the courage. And, um, you know, there is gradually getting to be more attention to this, the fact that I wrote about this when I'm a people person, a leadership yeah. person, I've written about sports teams to big companies to entrepreneurs, and yet I took on this issue. This is in the air. People are beginning to be fed up, and leaders are beginning to speak out. I think I'm, I'm sort of modestly optimistic that things will start being done because I've already heard, for example, in Congress, um, they've, there's been some proposals that the president put forward, and some leaders in Congress said, well, we don't like all the details of what the president did, but mm-hmm. we should do something along those lines. Okay, so they're, they're at least saying, hey, let's do something together here. Yeah, because, I mean, this is a nonpartisan issue, right. and it's an issue 
of quality of life. I mean, when a bridge collapses, it doesn't care whether you're in a blue state or a red state. <laughs> so true. Yeah. So and it's and, 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 and it's going to impact way, everyone's life for yeah. years because of the rebuilding of a bridge. Yeah, I and and let me just say that this is an issue. Transportation infrastructure is an issue that touches everything people care about. The household budget. About twenty up to twenty percent of the average American family of four household budget is spent on transportation. Man. So it costs it's a big people deal. money. I mean, you think about that. 20% of our household budget is spent. And, and again, you don't know. We don't, even, we don't even think about it until you go to another culture or another country where you're like, oh, man, these, this is horrible infrastructure. You don't even you – don't, you, you think you've got the cat by the tail here. Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at the bullet train in Japan goes 200 miles an hour. Our highest speed trains in the U.S have a top speed mm. of 150 miles per hour, can't always go that fast, 200 miles an hour, and it has deviated from schedule, quote-unquote, mean been late, an average of 32 seconds over oh. the last two years. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> That's crazy. And not only that, you can board it in the airport. I mean, you get off your plane, claim your luggage, get on a train, in Tokyo Airport, Tokyo Narita, and be right on your way on a high-speed trip to another city. I, I, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, um, we could do it, and there are some proposals in the U.S., by the way, to do it. And there are some proposals by governors. Um, high-speed rail in California is a Jerry Brown cause. There are proposals by private companies. Um, a private company is working on high-speed rail between Dallas and Houston, um, what a boost to the economy that would be. But again, I want to say it's a human, everyday, ordinary person issue, safety issue, fewer injuries, um, uh, less pollution in the air from carbon, from, the, from greenhouse gases from the car. Um, so you're breathing that air. If we could get, we can keep our cars, I love my car, but if we can have alternatives that are seamless, that are easy, oh, yeah. then people wouldn't even have to think about it. Like if you could just call a car, I mean, and you can, Uber, but if you could do it in a consistent way where my car could come pick me up and actually knew my itinerary yeah. and then drop me off and actually by dropping me off, I automatically could take my – I mean, it's you're, you're, you're calling for not just better bridges. You're saying we need to have – a whole system approach where our bridges and our airports and our roads and our Uber and our uh, everything is connected in a in a better way. Right, absolutely, and it could be. I mean, the smartphone or actually the technology underlying it and wireless networks, you know, they can control a lot of things seamlessly for us. The technology is there. We're close to automated cars that could park themselves. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. They find the parking. Um, it, we're close to it. We have another infrastructure problem in America, which is enough broadband network capacity to handle all of it. We're not as connected as other countries. And that also bothers me because we are the leaders in technology yeah. innovation. But we're not using all of our own technology. But that's interesting because we you might not normally have put broadband in the infrastructure, but it's now an essential part of the infrastructure. 
And if every car is going to be running uh, and wanting to communicate or needing to communicate with each other, then why wouldn't you incorporate broadband throughout your entire infrastructure? So we need that for the airlines. I mean, we can't have good enough Internet connections, Wi-Fi, et cetera, on planes until everything is connected. And in airports, because airports don't have enough, sometimes in an emergency when everybody gets on their cell phone, the system is overloaded. Hmm. You you made a great point um, in when I was doing the prep work about the just the pilots. The pilots have to carry their manuals, their their flight manuals, which are like thirty five pounds of weight. And in there, and that's what. So anytime you see a pilot pulling his bag behind him, he's usually got a briefcase full of books. And the, you're saying those books now are just now on their iPad and are kind of seamlessly fixed now. I mean, now they yeah. can access anything, but they would need Wi-Fi, yeah. right? And the Wi-Fi would have to be secure. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's such an interesting dilemma. Do yeah. you, what, what should we be doing as the average citizen to, to maybe push our elected officials or to become part of the solution here? Well, you know, I have my six famous um, lessons for people who want to lead change. Show up, speak up, Etc. Yeah. Um, so you show up. I mean, you, you convene with other people. We all have convening power. Um, you know, get the local people, and it could be businesses, big businesses who are important in the community. It could be elected people to get together to think about these things and invite people for for conversations. We need dialogues about this. And in fact, we just did a program at Harvard Harvard Business School with teams from all over the country, 10 young leaders. We had Salt Lake City. We hmm. had uh, Miami, Boston, Seattle, et cetera. And at least one of the teams is going back and calling for a coalition to look at mobility. So transportation um, throughout all the modes of transportation and how mobile people can be. Can they get where they need to go? And the whole thing all at once. And they're calling for conversations. They've already figured out who that should be at the table. So as an average person, if you can show up, show up, speak up, let people know what the problems are. Um, and, you know, that encourages those leaders to do more. And if you're not a leader, you're just um, not just, but, I mean, you work in other sectors yeah. or you're a stay-at-home parent, or et cetera, you still have a role because you care and you have to make your voice heard. And that's the American tradition. We're a democracy. We are not China that can simply move all the peasants off the land and build <laughs> high-speed rail or, or build a new city. We believe in the voice of the people, but the people have to be heard. Oh, that's such a and, – and, and we have to we, – and we can is what you want us to believe and know that – we we not only have to kind of do it, but it works. We can do this, and you've got examples in the book all over the country where it's happening. It's just yes. we need kind of we need to unify the best practices. Yes, and when I wrote Move, I was actually moved or inspired um, by some of the children's books that um, I used to love. Hmm. Um, one of them is an American classic, The Little Engine That Could. Yeah. And we we do not want to be the the engine or the nation that can't and won't, um, but we're headed there. We need to be the nation that can and will, and um, and 
we don't it isn't a matter of let's be as good as other countries i mean that would be nice we weren't we're once we were once on top of the world but it's good for us it's good for our daily lives so that we're not stuck in traffic it's good for our our families so that children are safer and healthier it's good for our budgets it's good for employers who worry about people getting to work, commuting to work. Yeah. It's, and it's good for companies that care about whether the goods can get from the clogged West Coast ports to where they need to be. So it's good for everyone. And so my goal in writing MOVE was to stimulate um, users, the public, consumers, companies, everybody, to speak up, be at the table, and demand that we begin to work on solutions. Well, it's beautiful. You're actually living your model of your six, um, your six keys because one of the keys is to lift others up. And now yeah. you're you're trying to get us to see the the vision that it's possible. Hey, uh, do you want to do you want to announce it here uh, that you're going to run for president, Rosabeth? <laughs> Very Ma- funny. Maybe it's um, time you run yeah. for president. <laughs> Thank you. You'd I be would great. Like all the current <laughs> candidates, many of whom most of whom have copies of MOVE, although they keep getting to be more candidates all the time. I would just like them to pay attention and speak out. And, you know, all the issues that people are speaking out on, inequality, for example, social justice, that's a big theme of the moment. You bet. That has a transportation angle because poor people live in neighborhoods without public transportation. Yeah, and they've been locked in, you know, off of a highway or an on-ramp or an off-ramp. They're kind of trapped in there. Interesting yes. stuff. Well, you know That's what? Again, metaphor. it really, it really is. Yeah, it's like we've put them in an island of cement, but they don't have an on ramp necessarily. Um, uh, again, Dr. Rosabeth Moss Cantor, we appreciate your insight. Keep up the great work and the keep keep up the great battle. Thanks very much, Matt. I enjoyed talking with you. You too. And everybody, go pick up the book "Move: Putting America's Infrastructure Back in the Lead." It's, uh, it really is, I think, just a great resource. And, folks, when you have one of the best thinkers and in leadership taking on one of the biggest leadership issues, we all ought to pay attention to it. You can complain about your roads all you want or the lack of infrastructure, but if you're not up to date on what the great thinkers are thinking about it and the solutions that exist, and if you're not going to step up and show up and speak up and lift others up, then you know what? It's just you're part of the problem. Not to be rude. But you're part of the problem. That's what we want to do on this show is solve that problem. We're going to take a break, come back, do a little Coach's Corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. You're listening to your guide on the side, the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, You know, it's funny. So I used to be a business consultant. I used to travel the country and teach leadership skills and tools to people. And this was, I don't know, 15 years ago. And I'm telling you, one of the big names that came up all the time was Rosabeth Moss Cantor. She is a leadership guru and... um, Interestingly, her background also is in sociology. So that's why she kept mentioning that, you know, she's a people person. This is about people. She's not just a, you know, an infrastructure wonk that just loves the political and the 
um, the civil engineering of infrastructure. She's not like that. She understands it's about people. And so as, as we do this little coach's corner right now, I want you to be thinking about your own life, your own infrastructure. My, my family, um, we're going on a trip to – I'm not telling you where. It's a private little thing. We're going on a little vacation. The people we're sharing a condo with or a cabin with, um, they said it's going to be about a five-hour drive. Well, none of us checked. None of us checked. We just trusted them. And uh, come to find out, it's about an eight-hour drive. You know, oops, three more hours to the drive. What's the big deal? But in the end, uh, three hours is a big deal. So how we figured this out is we just pulled out our phone and got our Google Maps out and entered in the address and found the exact route, three routes actually, to this location. And each route has a different kind of terrain, but it also has different roads. And from two-lane highways to, you know, nicer highways and, and better infrastructure. And I'm sitting there thinking, that was not even possible 50 years ago to even necessarily find it that quickly, have every turn off, everything figured out. You'd still have to go find a map. If you found a map, you probably wouldn't have the right map at the right level of detail that you would need. So you'd probably need to go get four maps or three maps. And so think about how much life has changed. Now in one app in my hand, I can figure it out and find it. But do I use that technology? Do I use that to make my life better? Uh, one of the things that Dr. Rosabeth Moss Cantor has talked a lot about is the probably the number one innovation in infrastructure is the cell phone. The cell phone is changing the entire game because now there's all of these apps that we can use to lead our lives by. But if you're not using the apps, if you're not figuring out how to work it, and if you're not voicing to the app makers what your desires are, your needs are, if you're not innovating, then you, again, might be part of the problem. Really quickly, she gave us six keys to leading positive change, but she never went through all of them. Let me just give you the six keys so you can be thinking about it. And again, go find this. Um, she has a, a TED Talk on this. She's wonderful. Uh, just go look up under Rosabeth Moss Cantor. She's, her first rule is show up. Get your voice in the game. Be present. Don't just complain. Get in the game. Um, be an example. Make yourself available be present. Get in the game, right? Show up. Number two, speak up. When you're there, use your voice. I'm using my voice on, as a radio talk show host to help educate you on this. You use your voice, whatever your circle of influence is. If it's just, you know, if it's a church member, share your ideas with your friends and family at church. If it's just, if it's a parent, share it with your kids. Teach your kids about better uh use of technology to influence the infrastructure. Teach your kids about the complexity of these issues so that they can become thought leaders and um, and make a difference. Third, look up, meaning look to your higher principles and your values. There's a bigger vision to life than one more freeway. When, you're, when your school is trying to take out a bond for the school, there's more to life than another bond for one more school. Is there a way in that bond to actually have other technologies created instead of just a building. 
Is there a way to start having other values become and in play? Also identify what your values are. And if, you know, if you're a religious type of person, make sure your those values are also being used in, um, in these, in the idea making. Fourth, team up. Everything goes easier when you have partners. Nothing is more difficult than if you have to do it on your own. So start finding the leverage partners to make a difference. Companies are doing this. Political leaders are doing this. If you want to make a change in any way, you got to eventually team up with the people that know what they're doing. And once you team up with people that know what they're doing, you know, there might be a cost associated with that, but there's also a benefit. Number five, she teaches us never give up. Everything that you, that, uh, Everything will look like a failure when you're in the middle of it, so don't give up. Just keep going. Keep pushing. Keep pushing. Giving up is the failure. Just stick at it. Uh, Nelson Mandela stuck at it 27 years and before he gave up. And finally, lift others up. Share your successes with others. Make sure you're lifting the human race and making life better. Look out for the little people as well. Folks, that's hour uh, number one of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. Come back. Hour number two. More ideas right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Top of the morning to you, folks. Welcome to the program. I'm your coach, Dr. Matt. Your guide on the side. Again, we do what we can on this show to not just bring you the news, but to, you know, get you up to speed and and hopefully help you and your family create better results. You know, it's your life. No one can live it for you, even though there's so many trying. Nobody can live it for you but yourself. And honestly, you're in the end the only real beneficiary uh, of everything that happens, every decision you make. It's all yours. The good, the bad, the ugly, the results, they're yours. You can blame the government, you can blame your friends, your neighbors, and many times, you know, there might be some validity to blaming them. But in the end, you're the only one that gets the results and gets the suffering of everything that's going on in your life. So we're here to help you at the crossroads to make better decisions, to be better informed. Today, again, and we're going to review a topic that we talked about a few days ago. Um, one of our contributors, Julie K. Nelson brought up some research that was done about Sesame Street and how uh, Sesame Street may be worth the investment for your kids. You know, back in the day, Sesame Street came out like in the 60s, 69, I believe. And, uh, you know, it used to be, oh, kids are watching too much TV. Your brain's going to go soft and squishy. And in reality, we're finding out, according to today's research, uh, Sesame Street doesn't just make your brain go squishy. Sesame Street was a powerful tool, continues to be a powerful tool for early childhood development, and we wanted to bring that up and uh, and bring on the researchers. So Dr. Phil Levine will be joining us, one of the authors of the article and, and the study around uh, Sesame Street. So we'll be getting into that in a few minutes. Also, uh, we also are going to be um, talking about the news and who better to take us through the great uh, dance of the headlines than our own Kathy Aiken. 
President Obama has unveiled a plan to make overtime pay a reality for more Americans. Under the proposal, salaried workers who earn $1,000 a week would be eligible for overtime pay. The proposed change would raise the guaranteed overtime compensation from just over $23,000 a year to more than $50,000. Obama said the plan is to make sure hard work is rewarded. Meanwhile, critics warn the increase could hurt job growth and productivity. New York prison escapee David Sweat continues to recover in an Albany Hospital after being shot and captured by police on Sunday. Sweat escaped with Richard Matt over three weeks ago. Matt was shot by police on Friday. Here's New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Sweat actually disengaged from Matt about five days ago because Sweat felt that Matt was slowing him down. Sweat has told investigators Joyce Mitchell, a seamstress at the prison, was the only worker involved in the planned escape. Mitchell has been charged with helping Sweat and Richard Matt escape over three weeks ago and remains in jail. Sweat said the plan was for Mitchell to pick the men up, go kill her husband, then drive to Mexico. The 14th GOP presidential contender will enter the race today. That's New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. He'll formally announce his candidacy at his former high school. Christie is expected to discuss his record as governor and his vision for the country. Jeb Bush, also a GOP presidential candidate, said he'll release 33 years of tax returns. His campaign says the disclosure is the most by any presidential candidate in U.S. history, a move to show the candidate's commitment to transparency. The sleepy Hollow fire in Wenatchee, Washington, continues to burn. So far, the fire has destroyed 24 homes and four businesses. As of last night, the fire was just 10 percent contained. Three firefighters are reported to have suffered minor injuries. The U.S. women's soccer team taking on top-ranked Germany tonight in the World Cup semifinals in Montreal. The U.S. will have Megan Rapino and Lauren Holiday back in the lineup after a one-game suspension. The winner of tonight's matchup moves on to the finals July 5th in Vancouver. And, Matt, you know, we talked about the Michigan woman who died at 116 recently. Yeah. Well, two other women still alive who were born in 1899. Oh, wow. We've got Susanna Jones of New York. She recently became the world's oldest person. She's 115. The secret to her longevity and the reason you won't be living very long? What? Sleep. Did she sleep? Yes, she slept. Oh, lucky. Lots of sleep, so you're in trouble. <laughs> Jones dead. is four months older than Emma Murano of Italy, who's also 115. Her secret, eggs. Ooh. Two eggs every day, one raw and one cooked. What? Just like she says her doctor recommended when she was 20 years old. So there you go. Eat your <laughs> eggs. <laughs> raw eggs, I, that just sounds horrible. That me. does sound horrible. Uh, a raw egg a day. Well, and Rocky Balboa did it. A several, yeah. Look he at how he did. I just kind of chugged those down. That was awful. He was a national world contender or I whatever. I think there's E. coli or something in raw eggs. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's know, not healthy. Not. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think so. So eggs or sleep? Eggs and sleep. What happens if you do both? Then you're going to live to 120, maybe. Okay, so if you could live to 120. No. No desire to live to 120. No, but if you could live to 120 with the same vigor you yeah, have now. Yeah, I mean, let's say. Can you say, imagine what you'd see? Oh, yeah. man. Can you imagine? No. That's with the good and the bad. Right. But you'd, you'd, you'd need a little jazzy, like, scooter. You know, you need a little scooter. Cause By then, I think it's probably going to be more like the, you know. Like a hovercraft. A hovercraft, yeah. I don't That's think what so. I'm picturing. We I always, don't know if we I always think that, that in the that future, age. but I think it's going to be more just like the Walmart 
cart that <laughs> you can get. <laughs> That's as far as we're going to get by that time. Well, apparently our infrastructure is falling There apart. you go. Yeah. Oh, we may be in trouble. Yeah, See, I So that's know. why we've got to hover over the infrastructure because oh, it's going to be, be so Yeah, crumbled. there's going to be all this mess of just destruction <laughs> underneath us, and we'll just hover over it. There you go. Do uh, So if you could live, I think we've talked about this before, what's the age that, you know, the age you want I to know, live I don't know. I say 82. That's kind of a random number, but that's when one of my grandmothers died. Yeah, the other one died at 93. That's too long for me, even though she was quite healthy up until then. But think of your time. age right now. Doesn't 82 sound too close? Are you thinking I'm not older or something? Well, or? I just think it just seems close. <laughs> I mean, speak for yourself. Sorry, that's <laughs> it just seems I mean, not that you're old. It's just like that's the It does you know, seem kind of close. I remember when I was young and my grandfather died when he was 60. And I remember thinking, well, oh. that's old. He's really lived a long life. He's good. And now He's I'm given. thinking that's quite young. <laughs> yes. That was very young. Way too 60 young. 60 is yes. too young, isn't it? Way too it? young. <laughs> I know you're close to that. So be uh, careful. Ew, get your sleep and eat your eggs. Oh, man. I'm dead. I don't even get eggs. And I don't get sleep. Oh. What do you do? <sighs> Oh, well, I lived a good life. It's really hard to be at BYU because everyone is so young here. I'm looking across the board at Ben. and Ben, ben how old are you? 13, 14? How old are you? I'm 21. Oh, my word. You look really good. You look really good for a 21-year-old. I look like I'm 13. You do? 14. Okay. I'll take that. You look like I should take you to ice cream. But, man... I just feel older here. I don't know why. Terry's looks younger. Everyone looks younger. Whatever. Okay, so now I'm depressed. Actually, a little blast from the past. I'm as old as Sesame Street. Sesame Street debuted in 1969. That's when I was born. So I'm not that old. And if I could live to be half as healthy and successful as Sesame Street, that would be great. Did you know that Sesame Street is uh, a major tool of uh, uh, child development. It is an incredible, according to a recent study, an incredible addition to your child's development and growth. And for some populations, it's an essential part of their growth because they might be missing out on some development um, in other ways. So we're going to take a break, come back and talk with Dr. Phil Levine about a study that he's put together about how Big Bird helps kids get better grades. You know, so all that effort, all that energy that uh, that you may have thought you wasted on Sesame Street and public television, you know what? It may have actually helped you. Stick with us, my friends. We'll take a break. Come right back and review the power of Sesame Street right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Now, here is your host, Dr. Matt Townsend. So, as a child, were you a fan of Sesame Street? Do you remember that as a young child? Uh, did you have to turn on that great show and just every day just watch it and watch it? And, you know, we used to worry that it might not, all this TV may not be so good for us. But uh, according to a recent study by Dr. Phil Levine and, um, and some of his cohorts, they found out that Sesame Street, uh, it might not be, you know, 
it actually might be incredibly healthy and good for the development uh, and, and of preschoolers. When it first aired in November of 1969, five million children watched a typical episode. Five million kids were watching an episode. I mean, that's incredible. And when you think about it, Big Bird, the Grouch, Cookie Monster, Elmo, they, you know, they've been charming and educating children for more than 40 years. And there's been some big issues and questions kind of in the political world of if we should be funding public television because the conservatives think it's too liberal. All of that aside, some of the data now is proving that it has been incredibly worthy um, as, a, as a tool to basically help preschoolers improve and do better in school later in life. Dr. Phil Levine is joining us. He's the co-author of that study. Dr. Levine, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's an honor to have you and to to have you teaching us about Sesame Street. First of all, what what makes an economist uh, focus on Sesame Street? <laughs> uh, well, it actually turns out to be um, not my memories of, uh, from my youth of watching Sesame <laughs> Street because I'm actually too old to have watched it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, economists like to think a lot about investments, and in this case, this is about an investment in children. You know, what sorts of investments can we make that actually help children perform better? Um, and so once you start thinking about it that way, it becomes an economic issue. So did, this, did you just have to sit down and watch a bunch of episodes? How did you gather the data, and, and how big of a sample <laughs> did you have? What did you learn? I have to watch a lot of episodes. <laughs> uh, actually, I used... Uh, uh, data from um, the United States Census in 1980, 1990, and 2000. So hmm. we've got data on, you know, hundreds of thousands of kids, of people who were sort of kids at the time when Sesame Street was first introduced. Um, uh, I think the major part of the study focuses on the 1980 census and just asks a simple question, are you at the appropriate grade level that we'd expect you to be at for your age? So if you start school at age six and first grade, like, you know, most kids do, mm-hmm. um, you know, by age 10, you should be in fourth grade, and by, you know, um, age 14, you should be in eighth grade. And, so, you know, and all I want to know is by 1980, with hundreds of thousands of kids available for me to look at, are they in the right grade? That they're, are they in the grade that they're supposed to be in? And then I want to correlate that with what was their exposure to Sesame Street in 1969 when the show started. Hmm. And so were they old enough to be able to watch the show or not? Yeah. And it, it goes beyond that because it's also just about access to the show. Um, so for those of your listeners who are old enough to remember, there was a distinction between VHF TV and UHF TV. Yeah. VHF was way better. <laughs> yeah. Higher quality. If you turned on the TV to a VHF channel, which was at channel 13 or under, there's a good chance you'd be able to watch the show. And if... Um, it was over Channel 13. You know, maybe you could, maybe you couldn't. It would depend on the reception. Um, a lot of places in the country, Sesame Street was broadcast on a UHF channel. Um, and so if you were in one of those locations, you were had much worse access. To oh, interesting. Yeah. So even though the show started in 1969, and you would think the whole country was all of a sudden exposed, it turns out you have this great thing that resembles something like an experiment where about two-thirds of the country was exposed because they were in places where they could watch it. And a third of the country were in places where they weren't, hmm. um, just through you know random variation in, in what channel you happen to have Sesame Street happen to be broadcast on. And then you could compare those two samples and and see how it affected yeah. their education levels. And that's exactly what we did, and it's you know surprising that um, 
you know, I think a lot of times people's initial reactions that this is about sort of comparing urban areas to rural areas, and that really isn't completely true. I mean, um, we actually are only using uh, metropolitan areas, and places like Los Angeles, um, the entire state of Ohio, Washington, D.C., all um, were places where Sesame Street was broadcast on UHF channels, and kids in those locations had very bad access to the show. Um, and so comparing kids in those locations to those in, like, you know, New York and um, Boston and Chicago, um, those all broadcast Sesame Street on VHF, hmm. so those kids could all see the show. And so you've got, you know, groups, you know, little kids sort of being born through the 60s and early 70s. Um, if they were born early in, or late enough and were, you know, preschool age in 1969, then they had the chance of watching it, and then they had to live in one of these areas where yeah. they could actually see the show. That's how we test the, the, our hypothesis. What was so the impact? More to be, yeah, are you more likely to be at the appropriate grade level for your age in 1980 um, if you were born late enough that you could see the show and were living in a location hmm. where the show was more accessible? And, and you, I, I guess you found, you found what? We found that uh, those children were, uh, did have improved uh, educational performances. So um, they were more likely to be at the appropriate grade level if they were exposed to Sesame Street, um, you know, in, at, in a preschool, you know, age four or five or something like that. How big of an impact was it? I mean, it's a pretty good sized impact. So if you went from a location which had weak reception, um, where it was difficult to watch the show, to an area where you had good reception, where it was easier to watch the show, um, uh, it would have reduced the likelihood of being behind grade for age. Um, be, being behind the appropriate grade level by about fourteen percent. Wow, I mean that's huge. It's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty good size effect. Um, and you know, it's, it, it, to be quite honest, I think it's kind of amazing to think that like an intervention that really involves having children watch a television show for an hour a day, um, clearly a high quality show, um, but nevertheless, an hour a day of watching the show, you know, had a real impact on their on, on their educational performance. Did it impact equally boys and girls? Did it impact equally uh, minorities and white populations? What What did you notice there? Yeah, no, actually, it had it, you know specific groups um, had even greater effects. So, um, as you and so boys had bigger effects. Uh, African American uh, children had bigger effects, and really importantly, because I think this is sort of the purpose of the show in the first place, or one of the purposes in the show in the first place, so that a bigger effect on children from disadvantaged areas. Hmm. So, um, you know, if you grew up in a low-income location, in a lower-income location, uh, we observe a considerably larger effect um, on those children, which is great in the sense that um, what that says is the show accomplished what it was trying to accomplish. If you read the you know, original proposal for the show going back to 1967. Um, it was specifically designed to help, you know, improve ec- uh, educational outcomes for all children, but particularly disadvantaged children. It was trying to close the education gap. It's interesting that it's, uh, 40 years later, they're now getting the data. <laughs> like, yep, well, it worked. Sometimes these things take time. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Well, it's really, it's kind of, it's it's incredible how you've kind of reverse engineered this to be able to figure it out by testing the UHF VA VHF kind of audience. Um did did you did you ever compare then the cost of this? I mean for for a child or an early child development program that you you know we're going to end up spending money for uh you know certain populations to help them have a better shot. 
at early child development is in the end if you found out that this is a good is this is a good expense Sure. I think uh, it's really important to think about, you know, what does this say about public policy? And, um, you know, this says nothing about the impact of other sorts of preschool interventions like Head Start or reducing class size or other sorts of things which have been proven to be effective. Um, All of those things work. Um, And actually, in some ways, they work a little bit better to the extent that they have greater proven long-term outcomes um, in terms of greater, you know, greater wages as an adult, uh, you know, 20 or 30 years later. Yeah. but what this study shows is that you can have an, an additional effect. You can get even more bang for the buck at very low cost. Um, so, you know, Sesame Street back then, um, in terms of the cost of production, even in today's dollars, we're talking about a number like $5 a kid for a year. Um, and so you can take, you know, a, just the equivalent of a trivial amount of money um, and, you know, really augment uh, educational outcomes for children who you know may be able and are likely to be able to benefit from other sorts of interventions as well. This is a great additional thing to be able to do. Well, yeah, and I mean that's that's for you know certain populations that might be disadvantaged. But then too, uh, I didn't feel like I was a disadvantaged youth or child, but I also I guess got the upside benefit of some other early development because I did watch Sesame Street as well. So yeah, we find universal effects. So it yeah. definitely was uh, better for everybody, but um, even more so for disadvantaged kids. And that's fantastic. And when you think about it, too, as they just had a hypothesis, I guess, that if we did a program like this, it would help disadvantaged areas, but it would also, you know, just it's, it's just good programming. I guess the, that, there's the rationale and the purpose for public television. Um, and ironically, I mean, not even ironically, just amazingly, it's, it's, it's paying its dividends. When, when you think about it um, going forward to, does this, do you have recommendations? Do we need more programs like this? What, what, what is your sense? You know, I think, one of, uh, I think that's definitely something we need to consider. I mean, you know, is, is this the sort of thing that we should be promoting more of? Um, and I think one concern people often have in making the leap is like, you know, Sesame Street was introduced in 1969. The world's a very different place than it was in 1969. Mm-hmm. You know, there's 8,000 different media outlets now, and there were three back then. Um, people have iPads and DVDs and all sorts of other things. But even in the present environment, there's still other evidence on sort of more modern contemporary TV shows, like uh, one that comes to mind is um, something called Super Y, um, where there's you know pretty convincing evidence that it has uh, impacts on, you know, immediate test scores. So if you watch the show, um, for like eight weeks or something like that, it's a reading based show. And then you take reading tests, you know, wow. you do better. If you really? Watch the yeah. Show. Um, so even in a contemporary environment, it seems like a, a well-designed educational TV show can have a positive impact. <laughs> and given, uh, an intervention that just costs pennies on the dollar relative to other sorts of things we like to think about, you know, why not do more of this too? No, that's it's true, and and two, I guess. I mean, now you could even start putting even more cutting edge research and uh, you know academic uh, approaches to this. We just the learn what we've learned over the last forty or fifty years. Imagine what else we could be creating. Plus, just making just teaching safety to kids, teaching internet safety, technology safety, just informing our kids at an earlier age of a healthy life. Man, what a powerful outcome! And dollar for dollar, what an affordable way to do it. I mean, I think one of the things that uh, people also worry about or are concerned about at the moment is, you know, 
um, what's, what is the ability more broadly of electronic communication um, to impact people's lives? Mm-hmm. So the, the way that you see this more often, I think, in more contemporary discussions is on higher education um, and the role that MOOCs can play. Like, is it possible to um, have an online class, for instance? Yeah. Um, you know, we know very little about the impact of those sorts of things. And, you know, clearly Sesame Street is not the same thing as a college class. But what it does tell us is that it is possible for electronic media to actually be able to communicate educational material in a way that gets incorporated Hmm. um, and that students can benefit from. Um, And, you know, again, that doesn't mean that this is a, a universal truth. But it certainly provides the promise that maybe there really is something there that we need to investigate a lot more carefully and think about, like, you know, maybe there are some benefits. Yeah. Well, it's unlikely to solve the world's problems. It seems like it certainly is going to be, you know, is the sort of thing that has the potential to help at very low cost. Well, we've seen it. um, We've seen it in the video game world. And we've had researchers on as well that it's becoming a really powerful way to deliver certain even, uh, you know, therapies and certain um, cognitive behavioral approaches to dealing with anxiety and stress and attention deficit disorder. So, I mean, imagine we start taking a lot of these lessons and, amazingly, making it really interesting for, I mean, making really interesting shows so that even some of the teen shows that are always trying to maybe teach a good message, but just take some of the learnings and and figure out how we could incorporate even deeper learning. And I mean, it's, this is cutting edge. That's why I think it's, I wanted you on here. Again, we're talking with Dr. Phil Levine and his research um, about uh, Sesame Street. In the end, um, it's like you said, it's not the end all be all, but we're finding out certain things like Head Start and reducing class sizes and school lunches. And now, you know, donations and money and contributions from the government to PBS. There, there are some serious benefits and, and, and it's helping certain populations. In fact, I, I just say overall it's helping lift the, the load for everyone. Anything else uh, that you'd recommend that we, we do maybe feel that, um, you know, with, with our kids as parents that might even make it even better? You know, I definitely think that it's a sort of – this is a perfect sort of intervention where, um, you know, it doesn't really require all that much – not just in terms of the production of the show, but like, you know, how does it get incorporated into the kids' lives? Well, you know, the kid goes to preschool or whatever, and a teacher says, well, when you get home, why don't you watch an episode of Sesame Street? And maybe why don't you do it with one of your parents? And maybe we can get parental involvement in, uh, uh, involved, your yeah. parents involved in a way that can also help, um, uh, you know, generate a larger effect. Um, you know, so in terms of the educational outcomes in terms of community building, in terms of, you know, what parents can provide to a kid's lives. There's just a lot of upside on this one. Oh, yeah. For very low cost. I love it. Well, and we appreciate your research there. Uh, Again, uh, Dr. Phil Levine um, is the co-author of the study. He's a a Wellesley professor and um, really, uh, I think, just helping us better understand the impact of of PBS and uh, Sesame Street. Thank you again, Dr. Levine, for joining us. You know, what an interesting thing, really. When you when you think about it, you know, if you got a choice between taking your preschooler and letting him watch another episode of, I don't know, SpongeBob or an episode of Sesame Street, there's now research and data on the benefit of Sesame Street. And I'm going to bet it would go up dramatically if you could watch the episode with your kids or quiz the episode. 
And, and if you go to if you go to PBS and if you go look up Sesame Street and get to their websites, they have companionship tools, tools that can help you as a companion to to know how to talk to your kids about the shows. So powerful research, folks. And again, uh, here at BYU, we do broadcast Sesame Street on our local affiliates here. So we appreciate uh, all that uh, they've done in the research and Sesame Street overall. We'll take a break when we come back. Kathy Aiken's going to be talking to us about uh, one of her segments to help us see the good in the world. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the show. Hey, you know, one of the goals that we have on the show is to help you see the good in the world. A lot of times the news that you hear, it's only kind of the negative stuff. And it's not necessarily, I don't even think it's a great reflection of actually what's going on. One story told over and over and over on the big cable networks does not mean that's a reflection of society in general. So we go out and we look for other stories that might put a little more, uh, I don't know, spring in your step, and it's to help you see the good in the world. Our own Kathy Aiken uh, is, is we've basically tasked you with that job. And Find I'm grateful the good. for it. Yep, there's a lot of good out there, Matt. There's one gentleman, his name is Nick Struck. He's a police officer from Colorado, and he says his job came from inspiration from God. Well, there's one family that was passing through his small town who was very grateful he heeded the call. 31-year-old Nick Struck is a police officer in Brighton, Colorado, a town of around 36,000 residents not far from Denver. On the job, he's seen it all. One day this last week, I had a lady that was upset that her neighbors didn't put the trash back into the house after the trash man picked it up. So it can vary from anything really serious to something that's really not so Struck's high-stress job is not what he originally planned. He went to school in Boulder with his sights set on physics, but a much higher power pointed him in a different direction. I just didn't quite know where, where God was leading, but I'll tell you what, when I was praying one night and I could just hear it clear as day that God was calling me to, do, uh, to be a police officer in Brighton, and specifically actually to be an SRO in the high school, because that's where that's what my niche is, is the high school age kids. Um, being able to talk to them and you want to believe the opportunities like I get every day or every week to uh, to talk about Jesus and um, it's it's really actually amazing man it's clear as day God called me to do this and uh, so I changed course and I uh, put myself through academy and he's blessed me ever since Officer Struck's background in physics has been a blessing since he's often asked to help with fatal accident investigations, like the one that occurred on June 18th, a one-car rollover involving an out-of-state family driving through town. We were the first officers on scene, so there's no medical people, and there was, uh, I saw the, the vehicle rolled off on the side of the road, could immediately see that the, the dad was deceased, and then children were all over, scattered all over the field. Four children and their mother were still alive. A four-year-old boy was critically wounded and struck started CPR. Once more help arrived, he was handed a two-year-old girl. Um, she'd been ejected from the vehicle, but I mean, I'll tell you what, and I told this to everybody, that God's hand was completely over this whole accident for these little children. Um, he protected them because she was ejected, but she wasn't hurt. 
And so I grabbed her and uh, the gas tank since the vehicle was rolled up on, on its top had spilled out all over these kids. And so she reeked of gasoline. The noise of the scene was too much for the child, so Struck walked a short distance away to distract and comfort her. And that's when my emotions started coming out. Like, a, it really hit me kind of what, what's going on, that this could be my daughter. My daughter's two years old. She'll be two in uh, August. And uh, that's when it really hit me that this, this could have been my daughter. Overcome with emotion, the officer did something he knew his own daughter would want. When my daughter gets hurt, she likes Twinkle Twinkle Little Star sung to her. Um, and then about halfway through the song, she usually starts singing along. So I started singing to this little girl. Um, she didn't sing along, but she stopped crying, which was amazing. And she had her arm behind my right arm. She was kind of just stroking, and I was showing her the police lights and the fire truck lights. Um, and you can actually sing the tune to Twinkle Twinkle Little Star to the flashing lights. And I'm showing her those in the helicopters and kind of having our little moment together and then um, prayed for her and put her in the ambulance and, and they took her off to Children's Hospital. Also in the accident was a three-month-old boy with a broken leg. A three-year-old girl escaped with just scrapes and bruises. Struck said, considering no one was restrained in the SUV, the outcome was nothing short of a miracle. For being ejected from a vehicle that was going 75 miles an hour, that's amazing. <laughs> And so, I mean, you can just clearly see it over this whole thing that that's, it should have been a lot worse, but God didn't allow it. He, he saved those little, little baby and all those little children. It was really amazing. The events of the tragic day are still carried by Struck, but he also has peace. This is where God's comfort comes in place. So I actually was praying with my wife. She actually came up later that day to bring up my daughter so that I could kiss her and see her and kind of start that healing process but it takes prayer like it can't um, be overshadowed the significance of prayer and that's really how me as an officer deal with these situations and God gives me a peace he's given me a peace now about it that um, I'm able to talk about because when I first when it first happened um, I couldn't talk about it without crying a lot (laughs) what the interesting thing is is you know my daughter's too so as she starts hitting these milestones i'm going to think about this little girl and that she's not she doesn't have her dad there to you know witness these milestones the first time she's you know talking and goes to school all those firsts will be it'll be interesting so it'll it'll affect me for life for sure but i think it'll be for a good thing because you know you're not taking for granted what what you have Struck says he hopes his own daughter will one day realize the song she loves so much was once sung by her father to another girl in need. And as life goes on, he knows he'll often think of the two-year-old girl he rescued from a tragic accident. I think the best thing I could ever hear in the future would be um, maybe hearing from this girl and saying, I'm doing exactly what God wanted me to do. Because that's ultimately what we need to, to strive for. And I, man, I would totally melt if I you know, met up with her in the future, and that's what she said um, to me, that, you know, I'm doing what God called me to do. Then I'd be like, okay, this is the perfect moment. Amazing. Is that great? Isn't that cool? I oh, mean, it gives me chills. He, he knows it's so, he's so connected to his faith, his religion, and and he sees it in everything, doesn't he? Everything. Everything. Everything is, 
is inspiration. Everything's a miracle. And to be that in tune for him has really proved for this family to be beneficial. And to really to say that, to think if one day I could meet this girl and she's doing what God wants her to do, it's just like, wow. I mean, how amazing is that? That is so cool. He wanted to go into physics and work in the oil fields. And then, I mean, this couldn't be much different, you know, turning around. But there's a great photo of him holding his daughter, holding this two-year-old out in the field. And you can see, you know, the action going on behind him. But that, that picture went viral and we have it on our Twitter page at Dr. Matt show. Man. And it's incredible. I it mean, really is. Officer Nick Struck, what a what a great man. What a great man. And he um he too to he also knows that he loves the teens and wants to be in the high schools. Exactly. He loves but, to he loves to mentor the the youth yeah. and to, you know, try to get them, you know, living better lives and gosh, you know. When we, we hear all these stories about police officers and the brut- and the brutal shootings and just the stuff that they're involved in, and then you get the contrast of this kind of officer. Yep. It just Such makes negativity, yeah. and then you see this, and just say, "Hey, there's some really good ones out there that do remarkable work." I mean, can you imagine having to go to scenes like this, and then, like he says, you see immediately the father's deceased, and then you're seeing these kids just scattered all over. Oh. And I mean, of course, his big message was buckle up. Yeah, you know, buckle up. He said there was a uh, a child car seat in the SUV. So he doesn't know if the child got thrown out of it oh, or no. was uh, not uh, restrained properly. So he said, you know what, parents, just make sure you're, re- you're, you're getting your kids buckled up properly, especially in the car seats. What a great message, yeah. really. I mean, again, he's saving lives again right there. Wow. Well done, Kathy. You did it again. You did it again. Helping us see the good in the world, my friends. We'll take a break. And when we come back, take a, a moment to do a little Coach's Corner, give you some more tools, some more ideas to, uh, to make sense of this crazy thing we call life. Stick with us, friends. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, you know, there's been there's been a lot of uh, stress, chaos, turmoil going on in the country. When you think about uh, the decision of the Supreme Court and how that's kind of divided the country on um, same sex marriage, and if you if you're in the Twitter sphere, you you've seen just a lot of crazy comments out there. And a lot of names, name throwing, and and just it's ugly. Okay, so on top of other issues that are in the news and the media, there's just constant con- contention. So one of the things I wanted to just spend a little bit of time talking about when it comes to um, relationships and people, people matter, folks, and we say that. Except most of us kind of live in a world where uh, apparently a lot of people are disposable. You know, we we date, we don't, when we're done, we nah, I don't want them anymore, I'm, we're done. And we don't necessarily see that relationships are permanent, and uh, people in your lives are permanent. So everything kind of is disposable. We just recycle, you know. So if I'm bored with my family, I'll just go get online and find some transactional relationships and then just recycle and recycle. But there's, there is a huge value that we need to teach our kids about our lives and our relationships. And, um, and I would also say just about people in general. People are important. Even the ones that test you, that struggle, 
that you don't understand, when somebody has a different point of view, it's important that you don't just, you know, quickly dismiss somebody. Because if you do, you're never going to learn some of the big, important lessons that recognizing and valuing people could bring. For example, uh, relationships and people in our lives, they they help us grow deeper roots. So having a relationship that's long-term, family relationships that are long-term, uh, you know, romantic partners that we have long-term, teach us a different lesson than we do if we never have the deeper uh, connection. The lessons that we have to learn in a long-term relationship are, are, are different because if I will eventually have to learn service. I'll eventually have to learn to sacrifice. In a short-term relationship, you find somebody, you know, a new friend at school or a new friend at your work. If, if, if that relationship doesn't last longer than a few years, you don't have to actually get into being there by their side as they go through major traumas or lose a child or have a have a major disconnect in their life. You don't have to be there through a cancer scare. You don't have to be there through all of these other kind of profound moments of life where you have to lose yourself to actually uh, to be connected to another human being, where you have to adjust your life. So short-term relationships can usually be a little more selfish than the long-term relationship. And that's why we've got to learn and teach our kids, you don't just have disposable relationships. So one of the first reasons we have to teach it is because long-term healthy relationships create a different type of thinking that have us grow deeper roots in relating to other people. You can't just have the tra- transactional Twitter sphere relationship where you can offend everyone. At some point, you've got to have deep, connected relationships where you learn to be patient with others. Another reason why we need to teach the importance of these long-term relationships is because relationships never die. Just memories do, right? So if I asked you right now to think of somebody that hurt your feelings in high school, that just was a jerk, they did something rude, they did something wrong, can you think of someone? Can you think of somebody at your first job that didn't treat you fairly? Because if you can, then you just have proven the point that the relationship doesn't die. If you can still remember the person, you can immediately detect where the relationship is. And if I asked you, which I did, to find a negative example, you probably have a negative relationship right there. So one of the rules about your relationships and how permanent they are, these relationships don't just die because I'm done talking to you. They're still there every time I think about you. So that's why you can't just divorce your ex and be done with it, because you still have an accounting in your head about what went down with that person. And every time you think about it, you're still going to have a chance to think about how ineffective or unhealthy or painful it was. So we've got to teach our kids relationships have to be trusted and treated properly and grow, and you can't just dispose of them because they never really go away. Another uh, relationship rule I teach is that our relationships really are the canary in the mine. Have you ever heard that phrase? Just as the old miners used to use canaries or other birds to test the presence of deadly invisible gases in the mines, our relationships also act as an early warning detector for us, protecting us from individual threats to our character. Our relationships teach us how well we are growing, how well we are doing in life. 
So if you, in the midst of all of these decisions that came down from the Supreme Court, if you chose to get online and start lambasting and beating the crud out of people because of their beliefs, that's the canary in the mind. That should be telling you that you have a little flaw here. You're really strong at arguing, but you had a need to tear people down. I mean, isn't it amazing that there's supposedly so much love and openness about this decision, and yet there really isn't a lot of love and openness being shared between the two sides of the decision, between gay marriage and those that weren't for gay marriage. So if you want to, if you want to teach acceptance, then you've got to be accepting of both sides of the argument. Conservatives can have a really strong opinion, and it doesn't just make them a bigot, right? And people need to be loved. It's a universal relationship and a universal need. And we should love, and your God would love. And it doesn't mean you have to agree with positions. Positions are different than the principles of love. And yet what has blown my mind, everybody seems to be speaking for God today, and yet I don't always, when I read everything they're saying, I don't feel the love. Make sense? There's got to be love, and there's also got to be opinions. People can still have their opinions and we can still care for each other and our opinions might be opposite. And it doesn't mean any of us are horrible, evil people. And we shouldn't throw names around. Um, So watch out for our relationships because how we learn to handle them makes a huge difference in our lives, right? Folks, that's the Coach's Corner. Again, we can't do the show without you. And we're here to help you get the tools you need, the ideas you need, the insight you need, We're just humans here having an experience, and it's not always easy, is it? We sometimes forget who we really are deep down. We'll take a break, come back, start our final hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Great stuff still to come. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. I'm your coach, your guide on the side. Man, have we got a great show for you today. By the way, two other hours you may have already missed. We talked a lot about uh, infrastructure with Rosabeth Moss Conter from BY or from uh, Harvard, and uh, great uh, great interview there. If you want to go back and find it on our podcast on iTunes or tune in, it's a great, uh, wonderful, wonderful interview. And then uh, last hour, we also talked a little bit more about Sesame Street and some of the research about how that's impacting positively the development of our children, especially. Some children um, who who had have disadvantages just because of income, financial situations, uh, and just even by the way, televisions and and what they're what they're actually able to see on TV and pick up, and what they can afford on their cable system. So, anyway, interesting stuff. Again, you can go find those uh, on our podcast today. Though more uh, interesting subject, or this afternoon, or this hour, more interesting subjects. GMO. Are you big into genetically modified foods? Have you heard a lot about that? You know, there's so many chemicals now in our foods, and boy, you read, you read it sometimes, and you're like, I don't know what any of this means. 
is this from my garden? So we're going to there's a big debate about it and and what you need to know and what you you know what you need to worry about. We've talked about that before on the show and sometimes there's fear mongers out there telling you, you know, you're going to die if you have too many genetically modified foods. Well, one of our uh, our our great friends uh, from BYU here, Ron Hager is going to be joining us in just a few minutes. He's an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences. He's just going to help us kind of do a rundown on GMO foods and uh, non-GMO foods and what we what we need to know about it, what we should be focusing on, the, the, the real truth. And stick with us on that one. That's a, it's an interesting thing because people are willing to spend a lot more money for non-GMO foods, and yet is it really health, healthier? Is it better for us? Is it going to help us live longer? We'll find out from Ron Hager. But before we do that, let's go to the always healthy and always non-GMO. Uh, Kathy Aiken with the headlines. Thank you, Matt. New Jersey Governor Chris Christie will formally announce his candidacy for president today. Christie will make his announcement from Livingston High School, where he attended. Christie will become the 14th GOP contender to enter the race, and his slogan telling it like it is. Another Republican in the presidential race, Donald Trump, has been dumped from NBC. The network ended its relationship with Trump after these recent comments about Mexican immigrants. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists, and some, I assume, are good people. NBC said it will no longer air the Miss USA and Miss Universe pageants that Trump is involved with. The real estate mogul said that decision will be determined in court. Trump ended his job on the network's program Celebrity Apprentice due to his run for the White House. President Obama is expected to announce a rule to expand overtime pay to millions of American workers. The proposed change would raise the guaranteed overtime compensation from just over $23,000 to just over 50000 The National Retail Federation opposes the changes, saying they would add to employer costs, hinder productivity, and hurt job creation. Further details about the plan are expected to be released today. David Sweat, the convicted killer who escaped from a New York prison over three weeks ago, reportedly told police he and Richard Matt were planning on Joyce Mitchell, the former prison seamstress, on picking them up, killing her husband, then driving to Mexico. But when Mitchell didn't show up, they escaped on foot. Mitchell, a former employee, has been charged with helping the men escape. According to Sweat, she was the only prison employee involved in the plot. Sweat is recovering from two gunshot wounds in an Albany hospital. Matt was killed by police on Friday. An Arkansas County clerk is resigning today over her own moral objection to issuing same-sex marriage licenses. Dana Guffey said it was a decision she didn't take lightly and said it did not come from hate. Guffey has held the elected office for over 24 years, but as of yesterday afternoon, her office had not received a single request for same-sex marriage licenses. The U.S. women's soccer team taking on top-ranked Germany in the World Cup semifinals tonight in Montreal. The winner of the matchup moves on to the finals July 5th in Vancouver. And Matt, last hour, we Mm. talked about the hovercraft. Yes. Well, if you have, and I think you do, do, in your back pocket. One hundred and fifty-seven thousand two hundred seventy dollars. You can buy your own personal jetpack by the oh, end wow. of next year. Yeah, after thirty <laughs> years of research, the Martin Jet Jetpack will be unveiled. And here we go. It flies more than a half a mile above ground. Okay. It can go seventy-four miles per hour. Hmm. It can hold someone up to five hundred and eighty-four pounds. <laughs> runs on gas and has a parachute just oh. in case you know you have an Whoa. issue and you have to deploy. Thank heavens. <laughs> yes. There's got to be some backup, right? Okay. Okay. So imagine the first moment. You're like, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna go test my new jetpack. <laughs> You imagine you? the police uh, yeah. converging on the scene. Well, if, right now it's mainly for emergency and relief operations, so that they can get into areas where you know air, aircraft or yeah. cars or whatever can get into. So that is what they're mainly well, main for. But well, can you don't imagine? we have a helicopter? I guess, but these are smaller. Just one person can just get in there and kind of you know get right down there. Yeah. It was pretty cool to watch the video well, and I bet how it's it works. Cool. Yeah, it's like, it looks like James Bond. It was almost like the one in James Bond. I can't remember the movie yeah. that that was in, that, that jetpack. Jet but like they've even figured out, well, it's up to 550 pounds. Yeah, exactly. No, 584. 584. Yeah, I mean, if you the, go 585, you're going to be deploying the parachute. Well, there's some 600-pound guy out there that's like, oh, sure. <laughs> that's 16 pounds. <laughs> what a Start running, off. buddy. Start jogging. <laughs> I would never dare strap. Uh, gas tanks on my back, yeah. basically, yeah. and then light them up. Yeah, and it's got these fans that kind of help you, you know, hover, and it looks pretty cool. Does it look pretty cool? Yeah, really cool. So uh, we probably ought to post that on our. You know, we're talking Twitter about page. this. This is we're thinking this is funny. Watch uh-huh. in ten years, twenty years, this is going to be norm. This is how oh, yeah. people are going to get around the Hyundai Jetpack. Yes, there you go. There will be a, there eventually will be all different brands. You wanted of the jetpacks. Genesis, so you're mm-hmm. just going to have to wait for the Jetpack. Yeah, I guess. I'm yeah. going to want a Dodge Jetpack because they're there. You go. That might be a little more tough. explosive. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that good crazy? One. That's yeah. good. Wow. Good news, Kathy. So good just news. pull out that hundred and fifty-seven thousand oh. dollars, and you're ready to go. Uh, you yeah. Got it. I know uh, you do. I'm a little short. <laughs> Ben, can you can you loan me? I'll give you the two hundred and seventy. You come up with one hundred fifty-seven thousand. Oh my heavens! Yeah, I'll come up. I'll with let change. you borrow it. Okay. I can just do. you know what I'd come in with third degree burns all over my legs. <laughs> it would be bad. Oh jeez, I can't even drive my car without a ticket. I can only imagine what would happen if I got a jetpack. I better call my wife see if I can get it. She won't let me get a motorcycle. I'm pretty sure a jetpack is out of the question. Hey, uh, we're going to take a break, but think about it. Are you? Do you even know what GMO means? Are you a non-GMO or a GMO? When it comes to your diet, do you just love munching those genetically modified foods, which pretty much is everyone? Or are you into the non-genetically modified? We're going to be talking to Ron Hager, professor here from Brigham Young University, an expert in chronic disease prevention. We're going to see, is it safer? GMO, is it really safer? Or do we go non-GMO? Does it make a difference? We'll find out. Have that discussion up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Hey, friends. Is it time for lunch yet? we got to go get some food, right? So do we go GMO or non-GMO? Have you even heard heard that phrase? It's out there. Everyone's talking about it. Genetically modified foods and uh, non-genetically modified foods. Genetically modified foods are foods produced from organisms that have had specific changes produced in their DNA using the methods of genetic engineering. So now geneticists are working our food for a purpose, right? And we're going to be talking with our good friend Ron Hager, who's a professor here at BYU, uh, an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences at BYU. He's also uh, an expert in chronic disease prevention and number one uh, tennis player, ranked number one in tennis. What age again, Ron? I don't know about the number one ranking. But one or two. I, well, who Top knows? Top three. 
In, in the 50s. In the 50s. In the 50s. That's yeah. awesome. I'm actually 50 years old. But so. you, you know what? You look like you're 20. <laughs> Thanks. A lot of times people tell me I act like I'm 22. So. <laughs> Your wife's like, grow up. Yeah. So, Ron, teach us about this uh, GMO stuff. I mean, well, first of all, anything that, with a wrapper that yeah. says a bunch of words on it that you don't know is probably not healthy for you anyway. We know well, that. Could be. Could yeah. be because it's highly refined and processed and lots of things have been added to it. But now uh, our lettuce is yeah, being genetically right. modified. Right. So maybe the very things you're taking out of your garden you know, are genetically modified because they come from uh, a genetically modified seed or a plant, you know, and a seed has been produced. Uh, and by the way, the, it's actually fairly costly, you know, to produce these seeds. Yeah. But in the long term, uh, you know, cost is not, does not seem to be prohibitive. It's more of a, you know, an initial process, but then over time, the seeds, you know, are less expensive to produce or whatever, but they are proprietary mm-hmm. even. So, you know, it seems kind of weird that you yeah. can you have like, a brand have, of a seed, have a tomato seed or a, you know, or a corn seed that, you know, there's some kind of, you know, intellectual property or, <laughs> yeah. or proprietary patent, you know, attached to a seed. It seems kind of weird. to Power tomatoes. I guess, I guess. <laughs> They're going to make up some really cool name. For well, them. when it comes to the, the whole GM foods, you know, the genetically modified foods. They're, now, GMO, this this was kind of confusing to me because initially I had only heard, you know, kind of the debate about genetically modified foods, but everything was being referred to as GMO. So I'm like, GM foods, GMO. And so it's, <laughs> it's genetically modified organisms. Okay. And this is a whole area of research now. Uh, you know, as when the human genome was, was fully mapped uh, recently, uh, you know, genetic research has just taken off in, in medicine, uh, in health, in other areas of science, in, uh, in all kinds of things, and in foods. And, and to be sure, the, the efforts, I think, are genuine. You know, it's, uh, you know, scientists and researchers and, uh, and policymakers and, and people who are just concerned about the general state of the world, yeah. even environmentalists. Uh, you know, you see both sides. You see some that are for and some that are against this whole concept of Why do modifying we... things genetically. And so there's kind of an alarmist yeah. approach to this because it doesn't sit right with some people. You know, you're, right. you, 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 God you, made the seeds. Right. You're, so you hear things about, you know, well, people shouldn't be playing God. Right. Uh, but, but, that, uh, but that actually happens all the time. See, right there, God didn't like that uh, yeah, comment. I, maybe not. I wondered about it. <laughs> did I just say board. something I shouldn't have? <laughs> So as you as you kind of dig into this, uh, you know, especially if you're just doing searches online, you know, Googling for things, um, I think you're going to come across, you know, some pretty extreme opinions. And mm-hmm. a lot of this is, you know, what I would consider to be just, you know, mo- more of it just alarmist. Like hype almost. Yeah, like, like hype. But when you actually dig into the research, there is uh, – there's a lot of research out there. I mean – hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of articles, uh, research articles, to show that when compared to its non-genetically modified counterpart, like, you know, the parent plant, that there are no differences uh, in in terms of, you know, its composition. There's no differences, even though it's been genetically modified to maybe live longer. I mean, there's a reason we're doing it. Yeah. So, yeah. So let's talk about some of those reasons, because maybe that helps... Uh, you know, people kind of see the purpose in it. Uh, you know, we, as a world, we are a growing population. Yeah. And, you know, the people who are interested in these kinds of things study this and they look at, you know, actuarial tables. They try and predict things into the future. And they see that, 
with the you say the you know what will the population be in 2050 and what will the food supply be and they see some disparities mm-hmm. and so efforts are made you know to try and overcome these disparities to try, to try and figure out well how can we feed a growing world population and so producing drought resistant plants or disease resistant plants uh you know, right now, there's even concerns about, uh, you know, the nutrient density of foods. Are there ways to increase nutrient density? Uh, it's not on the market currently, uh, but researchers are looking at a way to increase the beta carotene content mm. in rice. Really? So, yeah. Why wouldn't you? So, so that you could increase the delivery of a, of, of a nutrient, mm-hmm. you know, a vitamin or a mineral to a population of people. That's and, uh, you know, I was reading, too, that uh, they're looking at ways to genetically modify bananas so that they'll actually carry vaccines so that you could so, so that you could give vaccines to an entire population through bananas. Yeah, but see, if you can deliver a vaccine, you could deliver polio <laughs> or something like that, I guess. destroy a population. I guess. So, yeah. So there are, you know, there are some conspiracy kinds of ideas out there about all of this, but mostly... I have to believe that the intentions are good, mm-hmm. but you do have to also think about the potential risks. And it's you know, I mean, this is not the first time, you know, that science has produced, you know, things that you know were designed to be good but maybe went bad. Yeah, right. And the, I mean, the the most obvious example is trans fat. Trans fat was a you know a laboratory based uh, f- uh, fat. It was made from healthy plant oils. But when you kind of superheat it, you inject it with a metal catalyst, and it changes the molecular structure. Uh, it's not genetically engineered, but it changes the molecular structure of the of, of the, the fat. Oil, yeah, the fat, and it changes it into more of a saturated fat type of consi- consistency, so that it has a longer shelf life. You can fry foods in it over and over again, and so on. And it was thought that hey, this is going to be a great thing, That's right. but it ended up. That trans fats were probably ten times worse for you than other unhealthy fats, like maybe some saturated fats. So, well, that's an important thing in the research because you said hundreds of articles are out there about GMO foods, and, and, and there are dozens or dozens. Uh, no, there are hundreds of articles out there to show you know no difference, no difference, no no harm. Yeah, there are dozens of articles out there that show that there may be. Something. So, some increased risk for things like allergens huh. because most of these genetically modified foods are dealing with proteins. And uh, when you genetically modify a food that you previously were not allergic to but you've, you've modified it with the DNA or, or some, some part of a protein from another plant that mm-hmm. you were or that you are allergic to, you may be uh, you know, increasing risk for allergic reaction to plants that previously people generally are not allergic to. So that's one of the concerns. Another concern uh, is is toxicity levels of chemicals. And you just mentioned chemicals a minute ago. Uh, you know, there's a, there's, there's a corn. It's actually called Roundup Ready Corn. <laughs> and you, you take the, this corn, you plant it, you know, farmers would use it. So we're talking about large-scale growing here. And you can spray the entire field with Roundup, which is, which is an herbicide yeah. that will kill everything except this Roundup-ready corn. It's now – it can handle a little Roundup. Yeah, so there's, there's some concerns there that, that uh, first of all, <laughs> that you might be producing 
kind of a an herbicide resistant kind of a super weed yeah. that might be very difficult to control because um you know Matt uh genetic modification can occur naturally as well sure. over time uh so you know that that's a risk so it may actually alter the environment so we we may not know what we're doing we may be creating well, yeah yeah so so the research probably needs to go out instead of just being done say for the last 20 years or so it probably needs you know we need to look at the long term uh you know maybe 50 or 100 years but there's so much now. money behind it too so i'm yeah. assuming a lot of the research is being done by, by industry. the companies that are <laughs> yeah. promoting so that's another by roundup con- for example right so that's another concern uh you know these companies that are that's producing this research are also producing you know the product uh, and there's a, there's a bit of a conflict of interest there, although they do have, you know, procedures and protocols that they follow. Uh, but still, it, it's a concern. Now, this is where, you know, the conspiracy theories start to come about, you know, that one company gets too big and they, you know, they just tell the public what they want to hear. But again, I have to think that, you know, in the end, the intentions are good. But we've known from past experience that, you know, some companies, you know, do uh, hide yeah. Hide, oh, yeah. P- hide pieces of information that would be beneficial oh, to the man. public. I mean, they do. So, yeah, they do. So, I mean, the tobacco industry is a great example of that. But anyway, overall, uh, you you just about can't eat oh. non-genetically modified foods. Uh, you, you can avoid them directly more easily than indirectly, uh, but they're in just about everything. I mean, uh, the ver- the various oils that we use corn oil, soybean oil, canola oil mm-hmm. they're like uh, seventy to ninety percent of those you know that are on the market are uh, genetically modified well you also way. just go get a hamburger and you look at it you look at a hamburger and you're like, how does every tomato exactly the exact same size <laughs> yeah. and the exact same cut and the exact same color everything's exactly it's like they were manufactured in a yeah, and they were. Yeah, yeah. Well, basically, they are. And in fact, tomatoes are an interesting one because they were the first genetically modified product sold commercially uh, back in the 1990s. It was called the Flavor Saver mm. uh, tomato, and it was genetically modified so that it could be picked green, and then it could ripen on the shelf. Interesting. So that that was the very first the Flavor Saver. The Flavor Saver. Can you tomato. hear a commercial about that? Yeah, and and now there's other concerns too. I think that. You know, people are, have legitimate reason to be concerned about because another thing that scientists are doing is genetically modifying plants uh, to be uh, disease resistant. Mm. So we talked about some being drought resistant or different ways to, uh, you know, grow them in terms of herbicides and pesticides. But if they're disease resistant too, uh, there's some concern that these plants that have, uh, you know, very potent antibacterial yeah. uh, properties or antiviral properties, that if you consume them, that that uh, antibiotic property might could be transferred, say, to the human gut, where, you know, you, where, where, could, where, where it could... Where de- you need organisms. Right. You need so, yeah, so, so it could destabilize, you know, the, the microbiota of the gut and, and increase your susceptibility, Man. you know, to problems. So it, it's a tricky thing. Yeah. Uh, and it's beneficial on one end, and on the other end, it's, it could mess up your gut, potentially. Yeah. Let's take a break. We're talking with Dr. Uh, Ron Hager, professor of uh, exercise sciences in, at the Life Sciences, Build, uh, Life Sciences College at Brigham Young University. 
and chronic disease prevention expert, which is what we need, quite honestly. And I'm going to have him work on my plantar fasciitis as well. We will take a break. We'll be right back. More on genetically modified foods up next right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In the house, uh, Professor Ron Hager is joining us. He is an exercise sciences professor in the College of Life Sciences at BYU and uh, is our expert in chronic disease prevention. That's the goal. He doesn't want to just be good at chronic disease. He wants to prevent it. One of the things we're talking about today is genetically modified foods. And it's really right now, uh, Ron, it's really genetically modified fruits and vegetables. Yeah. Right, because it hasn't. Yeah. They are doing genetic modification on fish, animals, uh-huh. but those aren't being sold yet. Yeah, those aren't commercially available. They, they may be at some point in time. You know, I, I, I was looking at an article. There was a, there was a picture. One of the, one of the most recent, some of the most recent research that's being done is in in fish, coho salmon. You know, can you genetically modify uh, fish in a way to? Make them resistant yeah. to bacteria. Can can they grow faster? Whatever, and uh, and there was a picture in this article of of fish that had been genetically modified versus fish that hadn't, and they were the same age. <laughs> and the ones that were not genetically modified looked like sardines. Yeah, and the others like, looked looked like king salmon yeah. that you just pulled out of the Kenai River. Inch sa- exactly. <laughs> you know, and they were the same age, uh-huh. and that's because of genetic modification. So it's it's having an impact. And one of the things I guess that should be maybe a fear or concern is we don't we don't know everything we're doing, right? No. So we it's all testing, and yeah. but it's but so, you know, but, but, but this, all the studies, well, all the studies, depending what side you're on, they can say it's good or it's bad. Yeah. But either way, it doesn't mean we should always do everything we can do. No. And that's, you know, in the end, uh, Matt, that's my real concern is there seems to be this this trend in science and technology that if it, if you're capable of doing it, you have to do it. Yeah. But, and I think there has to be a line that's drawn somewhere. But, but think about this, though, Matt. I mean, technology is not new. I mean, yes, it's certainly accelerated. But I got to tell you, I'm glad I don't live in a cave. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I'm glad I don't have to go flip over rocks and look for food every morning to feed my family. Right. So, you know, you can can rant and rave all you want about the ills of technology, but I imagine most people are pretty grateful. That your bananas last longer when you bring them back than they might normally. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, since since the dawn of man, you know, technology has progressed us to the point where we are, and we've survived that. Yeah. Uh, and I imagine through a lot of trial and error, uh, things were learned. So what should we be doing? What's the? I mean, there's benefits, there's but there's environmental potential damage. Yeah, there's there's issues. What should we be doing just as a consumer? Well, as a consumer, I think it's it's you know it's wise to not be alarmist and sort of have that conspiracy mindset. Uh, I, the the research is pretty clear, even though a lot of it's been done by industry, much of it has been done, you know, in an unbiased uh, perspective. And uh, and for the most part, you know, I, my feeling is that 
these genetically modified foods are are okay. Yeah. Are there are there risks? Yes, there are. That's where we have to draw the line. That's where we have to say, you know, uh, just because you can doesn't mean you should. We can say well, let's so just do what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Let's look at the potential to uh, improve nutrient value in uh, in areas of the world where people are struggling to get the proper nutrients. Let's, you know, my, you know, I mean, obviously the drive behind all of this is money. There's right, no question. Right, right. You know, the companies who are doing all this research and producing these products are, are their, their goal is to make money. And the more they make, the, well, and, the, the better they are. And the farmers need to make more money. So Ex- if their exactly. yield is better and if they can. Exactly. But that's, that's where I think people have to stop and ask, uh, and, and, and there's responsibility among policymakers. There's responsibility among scientists. There's responsibility among consumers where everybody has to try and be responsible about this because do I think this could get out of hand? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Is it out of hand right now? I don't think so. Uh, but, you know, you got you to gotta be careful with this kind of stuff. In, in, in the end, and I'll say this, uh, you know, and this is how, exactly how I feel, uh, I think – you know, we're we're potentially playing with things that could be very hazardous or damaging, yeah. and and you have to be very careful when it when it comes to you know these ideas. There's a big part of me that you know this doesn't quite sit right with me. Something's uh, that something. Yeah, we just don't know enough. But of course, I'm not I'm not yeah. the citizen in the country, you know, where everybody's malnourished. Right, right. So I think there's a role for it, but if some is good, more is better. Is not, not is not really, I think, how you want to have yeah. your mind yeah, the, the, with what, things like this. When it comes to genetic modification, more is better may not be. Yeah. Well, and this is going on, you know, even with human research. I mean, it was the human genome. That's right. That was unraveled or mapped or whatever you want to call it. And this has led to, uh, you know, all kinds of opportunities to produce uh, what are co- sometimes called designer drugs. So mm-hmm. you can actually... Do a genetic test on a person, yeah. find out if they carry a trait or even if it's just a weaker gene uh-huh. uh, for a specific kind of disease. That a designer maybe you come baby. Up, yeah, that you could come up with a drug that would just take care of that person. In fact, you know, one of the concerns is that a person might be predisposed for lung cancer and they might be a smoker. So they're saying, hey, let's give this person a drug and it'll diminish their, 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 their probability of getting lung cancer in the presence of smoking. Well, shouldn't the real goal be to get people to quit smoking yeah. instead of eliminate the consequence of smoking? Or why don't we just take the tobacco leaf and put it, make it, put cancer fighting drugs in there. Then when they're smoking the carcinogen, I mean, right. see how this just gets so convoluted. Like, yeah, exactly. At and some point, just don't do that. And in fact, you know, some of the, some of the most uh, used uh, genetically modified approaches were with the tobacco plant. Oh, I'm sure they were. Yeah. I'm sure they were. Yeah. Well, Ron, we appreciate you. Um, any, any, give us one more bit of advice. When it comes to <laughs> me going to the store and I'm with my family, just, just beware. Is that what you say? Just be, in, just be informed? Yeah, I would say just be informed. I mean, this is, this, in the end, Matt, that's what this is all about, is you have to take the time to figure out what's right for you. You know, you can't blame it. If you haven't done your research, if you haven't tried to figure this out in your own mind, if you haven't, you know, and, and it's so easy nowadays. Information yeah. is so readily available, but you do have to be careful not to get caught up in the stream of alarmism 
uh, or actually the Raging River, yeah. I, I would say. Yeah. But but you can do your own research and you can come to your own conclusions. And that's, in the end, what this is all about regarding any aspect of your health. You need to be the it's one that's health. in charge of it. You're yeah. going to suffer it. You're going to benefit from it. It's, <laughs> it's all exactly yours. exactly right. Wow, that's awesome. Again, Dr. Ron Hager, we appreciate you. Associate Professor of Exercise Sciences in the College of Life Sciences at BYU. Again, we just did the entire interview standing up. Ron took all the chairs out of the room and makes you stand. He's amazing. He really is. He's a healthy dude and one of the top tennis players in the in the 50-year-old age bracket. And he's darn good looking. We'll take a break. Come back with two other good looking guys. Our friends from BYU Sports Nation. Spencer, we'll see who he has in town with him today. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, folks. A little rally song, a fight song. Who better to, uh, what better music to use to bring in our great friends from BYU Sports Nation? Spencer's there, Spencer Linton. Who's with you today, Spencer? It is one Michael Elisa. One Michael Elisa. Fresh off his vacation to some <laughs> sand dunes in Michigan. I'm so tired. Are you tired? I need a vacation from my vacation. Did that, did that music help pump you up, Michael? I love it. You know, I actually really do love that song. Isn't that a great show, though? Yeah, I love and, that play. And a great. apparently it's a book, too. Who knew? Oh. You know? Gosh. Who knew? Hey, um, you guys, I, I've got something for you. Okay. We just talked about genetically modified foods. Mm-hmm. I've got, a, I've got a, a hamburger or a shake I want you guys to try. Okay. It's from a burger chain called Wayback Burgers, and it will soon debut an Oreo mud pie cricket... Protein mm. shake mm. made. Now, you've heard of the grasshopper shake? Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay, that's like, that's different. That's like just, that just uses the name grasshopper. This actually uses real crickets to <laughs> increase the protein value because it's made with real Peruvian chocolate flavored crickets. Mm. Delicious. And if you're lucky, if you don't want the Oreo mud pie cricket protein shake, you can also get the jerky shake made from real beef jerky. And they actually uh, make a milkshake with barbecue sauce, maple syrup, hickory spice, and two Slim Jims. That sounds huh. absolutely appalling. <laughs> Are you Why being, do they? Okay, here they make a, they make a big splash with these things when they come out because it's like, oh, how can we be different and weird and yeah. crazy and edgy? How long do these things last? Like you never hear about like these being sustained for well, a long time. They'll last until the health department shows up. <laughs> yeah, we also never you never like you know I could really go for right now. A cricket shake. You wouldn't go for a cricket shake. Yeah, yeah. Come on, Michael. Delightful. Don't you need more protein in your diet? Beef jerky shake a day <laughs> keeps. I don't know. Not the doctor away. You know what's horrible, though? is when the doctor to your home every day. Every day. But it's when you're eating your shake at night, and all of a sudden you hear the crickets just <laughs> chirping. Mm. Yeah. Just that nostalgia. It's hard, to, it's, it's hard to, yeah. And then you'd have these nightmares of crickets coming to get you. <laughs> hey, um, so I guess you're not going to do it, huh? You're not no, gonna, that, I'm out. that's a heck no. I, I'm just going to pass this time. I'm going to stick with my... 
<sighs> Wendy's malt shake. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. I know. <laughs> I know, you really are. And we appreciate the concern and love and care that goes into suggesting that we Have uh, clog up the ventricles of our hearts mm-hmm. with yes. just abominable shake combinations. Yes. See? <laughs> That's a perfect explanation of what I'm trying to do. You lost me at crickets. You <laughs> know you, how we were talking about a book, Les Mis? Yes. We have a New York Times bestseller on the show today. Mm-hmm. You're kidding. No. Who? His name is Bruce Feldman. What did he write? He wrote a book about a BYU alum, no less, Mike Leach, who is now a college football quarterback, or uh, sorry, a college football coach at Washington State. He yes. coached at Texas Tech. Um, that was the one that won him a New York Times bestseller. But he also released a book called The QB, The Making of Modern Quarterbacks. That's mm-hmm. not a bestseller yet, but I think it's going to be. Seriously. Well, after your show today, it will be. Well, when we promote it, yeah. Promote that bad boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what? Five stars. Throw in a sh- one cricket shake for every purchase of a book. How many New York Times bestsellers <laughs> did you have on your show today, Matt? Uh, actually, one. Oh, stop it. Yeah. Rosabeth Moss Cantor, <laughs> Harvard, BYU, Harvard professor. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's just a little thing. She's actually had, I think, two or three. I guarantee you have more New York Times bestsellers on your show. Well, than I know, we but we for sure do. But you what, guys have more you muscle news. per show than we do. More muscle per show? Uh-huh. You have more just ripped studs per show segment oh, than we do. We're off to a good start today because Michael Elisa is a co-host. We also have more facial right. hair. Yeah, you totally do. I'm not, I'm not like a legit BYU employee, so, so I'm not to have... Are you sporting a beard? That's his beard card. Yeah, I'm sporting He's a beard He's not a legit right BYU employee. Oh, scruff. my heavens. It's more just scruff, not like a full beard. Just it's scruffage. Yeah. Speaking of scruffage, have you ever had that in a shake? Oh, what? Nothing. Oh, um, that's oh. Any, anything else going on on your show? I mean, I had a New York Times bestseller. We talked about Sesame Street. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm pretty excited about this. We have a home run derby pitcher coming on our show. <laughs> we talked to the home run derby hitter yesterday, Colton Shaver. Yeah. Now we're going to talk to the guy that's going to be throwing the ball to him in Omaha at the College World Series. That's a lot of pressure. A lot of people don't give him credit for that. Is this one pitcher that pitches to everybody? or No. You get, like, you get to bring you're a home your run derby competitor, you yeah. get to pick your own pitcher. Can you use a T? I'd uh, use a no. T. You cannot, you cannot use <laughs> a T. Can you use okay. a machine pitch? Yeah, that's a great question. Also, Tyler Haas has confirmed where he is going to be playing his NBA Summer League ball as he continues his dream to make an NBA Interesting. Roster. We'll have some more on that. Cool. It, yeah, okay, good. It's so, a loaded show. Plus, yeah. and we need not forget, Matt, the secret to keeping dum, Taysom dum, dum. Hill healthy in 2015, the BYU quarterback star. Uh, and this is real. This is real. This, this is real. Chocolate-covered crickets. Yeah, this is all Is this that the secret? blows chocolate-covered crickets out of the water, man. What is, is it? Just just give us a little hint. Is it is it a food product? Is it a drink? No, is it a drug? Let's just, let's just say we went beautiful mind statistician up in here, mm-hmm. and we broke this down. We figured mm-hmm. out exactly what the problem is. Okay. I, less running. More you know, pocket protection. You know, that, that's you're, part, you're that's part of it. That's okay. part okay. of it. Okay. If I don't want to blow it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. You guys, you always amaze me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm serious. Like, you, Michael Elisa comes in, sporting a little beard, and you guys throw together a killer show. You know? That's what we do, man. You're, you're the real deal. You're what, what we call. We, do. We, have, we have a poster of you up in the, the planning room. Oh, do you? Do you? And before we start, it's our motivation. We tap. The do you just, do you, does everybody touch it? Yeah. Y'all touch every, it. Yeah, pre-production. It's meeting. like good luck. It's a good luck poster. <laughs> Is it the one with me on that unicorn without my shirt 
where my hair's blowing in the wind, the long hair. It is that one. Host like a champion well, today. Well, we wanted to post that one, but BYU Broadcasting said, you know, we probably – That's that's not appropriate. a little bit out there. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> yeah. true. That's Too true. liberal. Yeah. I don't – I mean, I'm, mar- I'm a married man. I don't want the ladies chasing me. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Well, guys, have a great show. I'll bring you your shake later. Actually, we do, we're out of shake, but I'll bring you your cricket. Fantastic. We look forward Thanks. to it. Yeah. I'll leave it on your car. Hold the shake. Hold the bring, shake. Bring Just the bring crickets. me a bowl of crickets. Always a pleasure, Matt Townsend. Take care, gentlemen. Be good. Good stuff. They're good people. They're good people. I don't care what they say at the water cooler. Those two, they're good people. Spencer Linton. I'm telling you, Michael Elisa, what a great combo. They, when one of them is out, they get, they just get these great people in all the time. Well, I'm wondering what would happen if I went down, if I got sick and went down, maybe we ought to just have Spencer come do my show. I wonder if he'd do it. We got to check on that. We'll have Terry check on that. Yeah. I want, I want Spencer or Jerem to do my show. I want them to learn how hard it is to do three hours. They do one hour with a staff of 500. I do three hours with a staff of five, seven, ten. But I've got Ben. Ben Wasden's in the house. Hey, um, we've had a great show today. Again, it so happens that we did have a New York Times bestseller author. That's pretty classic. That's huge. Um, we had Rosabeth Moss Cantor on the phone on the phone with us earlier today. Again, talking about. I think a pro- an issue that's not really interesting to a lot of people because it's not exciting and fun to talk about, but infrastructure, folks, and we should be leading it. And yet we're we're the 16th best built out infrastructure in the world. We are in the United States, 16th. However, we're not funding it anymore. We're starting to cut back on funding. And so you might want to you, you might want to go back and listen to that show. If you didn't catch that show, go find us on podcasts or um, iTunes or tune in and, and, and look up that show because that is a definite one to watch. She had just been on a couple of days ago. She was on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, and uh, he picked her brain for five minutes is all he got to pick her brain. I think we went for like 35 minutes or so, so not to brag. You'll get seven times more value listening to the Matt Townsend Show on podcast. Um, we're going to wrap it up as we always do with a hero story. And the hero of the day is Zach Ropos. He's an Ohio sheriff's deputy. And after meeting a young girl with an honorable dream, this cop decided to help her dreams come true. While he was out on patrol, Zach Ropos, an Ohio police officer, pulled up to a young girl's lemonade stand. And the young girl ran up to his car window and handed him a glass of lemonade. And he gave her back a few bucks. And he asked her why she was doing this. Why are you trying to raise this money? And the young girl replied that she was saving money to help buy an iPad that would help her do her homework and play games. Impressed by the young girl's spirit, the officer told the girl's mother that he had an old iPad that he wanted to give this young girl. So Ropos returned home, turned on the iPad, but found that it was badly outdated and hardly usable. So the next morning, he approached a local electronics store in hopes that they would help donate towards this young girl's goal. But both Ropos and the store contributed to the brand new iPad. And guess what happened? Ropos then returned to the young girl's home, stepped out of the car with a sack in his hand. I talked to the girl, said Ropos. He gave her a speech about how admirable her efforts were to save her money. And I asked her how much she saved up. And she said that she had only saved a few dollars so far. Ropos then discovered that the young girl's family vehicle had ran out of gas, and she had given the money to her mother to help fill the tank again. 
Ropos then, with tears in his eyes, handed over the brand new iPad to the girl. Seeing her face is how I remember Christmas. When I was five years old, she couldn't stop smiling. Her smile was worth a million bucks. How cool is that? A cop, for heaven's sakes, not sworn to, you know, go buy iPads, but sworn to protect the people. And he finds this young girl that just is trying to save some money to get an iPad. That's who's out there, folks. There is good in the world. And my hero of the day, Zach Ropos, an Ohio sheriff's deputy, changing a life of a, of a young girl. And by the way, a young girl that's willing to then give up her money to take care of the family as well. So in the, in the end, folks, we're all in this together and we're trying to figure out how we, how we do it, how we make, uh, you know, how we can make it through this crazy thing called life. One way to do it is to look to the people around you. There's always heroes somewhere in our lives. And if you can go looking for the good, the research actually shows you're more likely to find it. Keep looking, folks. That's the goal of this program is to bring you the good in the world. We're out of here. That's it. Show's done. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. But until tomorrow, take care of yourself and make sure to make it a good one.